Welcome to today's episode of The Language Lounge. My name is Michelle Ola, and in this episode, I had the amazing privilege of talking with Leslie Gron. Throughout the pandemic, and even way before that, Leslie has been an amazing support and resource for teachers. With her website at www.gronforlang.com and on Pinterest, she has curated hundreds of resources for language teachers. Today, we talked about how teachers can really meet the needs of our Generation Z learners through real-world meaningful tasks. It was so wonderful sitting down and talking with Leslie about how we can make it real for our students. And I want to thank you for listening in on our conversation and invite you to join us on Twitter to tell us how you make it real for your learners. You can tag us at Lang Lounge Pod, tag Leslie at Ground for Lang, and tag me at Michelle Ola. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, welcome back to the Language Lounge. And today I am super excited to have Leslie Gron here with me. And we are going to talk about Gen Z, or no, yeah, Gen Z and making it real, right? So designing real world, meaningful, relevant task for those Gen Z learners and on a personal note, I own one. So I have a Gen Z learner and I know that it is different, right? And they are a different breed, so to speak. So I'm really excited to talk about this. So welcome, Leslie. Thank you for being here. And I'm happy to be here with you. Awesome. So why don't we just go ahead in case there's somebody out there that doesn't know you? um, Why don't you just give us a little brief bio about Leslie? Sure, sure. So I have 27 years experience in the classroom. I taught middle school and high school, um, French, Spanish, and flex and some Latin. Um, and then after that, went to the central office here in Howard County, Maryland, which is between Baltimore and Washington. And there I um, supervised about 200 world language teachers, pre-K 12, eight languages. Wow. Um Retired in 2017 and um, since then have been spending lots of time doing what I call professional generosity. So that's about me sharing what I love to do, like creating resources, collecting resources, things like that, and sharing that with the wider world language community. And so trying to sense the needs that are out there. So like during COVID, I was doing a lot of of curating and creating to help teachers kind of make it through that shift to the online and blended learning. So I spend lots of time doing that. I have a website, grandforlang.com, where I put lots and lots of resources for teachers um, around pedagogical things, around authentic resources, high leverage teaching practices, things like that. And I have some Pinterest boards that I think I'm up to almost 200 boards at this yep. point. <laughs> They're um, amazing. I can get lost there for hours. Well, and that's it. That's always a rabbit hole, right? Right. But um, super um, 
great to be able to put things together in one place so that people can find authentic resources on a particular topic or ideas around flexible grouping strategies or, you know, so many different um, topics that are, you know, whirling around in our heads when we're thinking about doing our planning. And so I do lots of curating there um, on a fairly regular basis. And then I also will add um, topics as we go on. So what we're going to talk about today together is this whole idea of making it real for our Gen Z learners and um, that whole idea of relevance. And I have done lots of work in that lately, and I'm really excited to share some of the ideas that I have around that. Oh, I can't wait. First of all, yeah, I, I think you need to not use the word retired anymore because <laughs> I think I have seen so much, you know, just so many great things that you do. And I love that term professional generosity because uh, not it doesn't always. Yeah, I just think it's amazing. And we all want to thank you. I can't tell you how many times I go to your website just for inspiration, ideas, you know, resources. Uh, you have a great section on leadership that I find extremely valuable, just so much. So I just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all of that. I know it is so important in our field. So and it makes me happy to hear that the things I put out in the universe, other people yeah. feel are useful. So that uh, really is rewarding for me. So thanks it, so much. Oh, absolutely. So Let's start by why is it important? Like, why do we have to talk about Gen Z? Uh, why, you know, they're students, they're learners. So why is it particularly important that we're talking about this today? Yeah. So when I think about when I first started teaching, and I'm sure you can do the, um, the <laughs> calculation. Yeah, um, we're not going to do that for you either, right? <laughs> we won't identify our own generations. Exactly. So as we as I think about my experience in the classroom and also as a program leader, students are constantly changing. Mm -hmm. So the students we taught in the 90s are not the same as the students we taught in the early 2000s, nor are they like the students we are teaching now. And for me, that was part of the, um, the fun of being a teacher is trying to find what I call the key to the lock. Absolutely. So what's the key that's going to open the lock, that's going to engage these students? Because something that engaged students five years ago, or even as soon as only three years ago, may not be engaging to the current learners I have in my classroom. And then I think the other piece is when I think back over my 27 years in the classroom, times five or six classes at a time, times how many kids right. were in those classes... I never had a single class that was exactly like any other single class I had. So it was always about the combination of students in there, the diversity, the human dynamic. And it was all about how to get students to the same goals, but in different ways. And I think that's why I became very interested originally in differentiated instruction and UDL and things like that, because what are ways that I can think about still having those same goals, still having those same communicative goals for my students, but finding different pathways to get there because the students are so different now. Yeah, now, so Generation Z, we mm -hmm. know, um, are very world conscious. So that's an important thing for us to think about is they want to change the world. I mean, there's even statistics about Generation Z that um, some of them will take would take a pay cut 
to work for a, a company that has some sort of um, conscientiousness or conscious around the world, around climate, around the environment, things like that. And so really caring about that. And then also the real part comes in because students have access to a computer in their pocket. And so yep. I can see real very quickly. I can go online and students are teaching themselves how to do things on YouTube and they're following influencers and all of this. So one of the things that I, I share with teachers when we talk about this topic is, let's be honest, recall is now an obsolete skill. Absolutely. Um, I don't need to recall for you. I can find something very quickly. So really, we need to shift our focus to what can I do with this thing that you've taught me? So this content, um, this text, whatever it is, what, how can this help me in some way? And then the second piece about it is how can I connect with it in some way as a, as a learner? Absolutely. Everything is Googleable, right? I mean, it really is. And so it's hard to even make a case for memorize these 20 obscure facts or whatever it might be when they know they could just Google it. It's, it's right there, right? And so absolutely that what are we going to do with it too? Uh, and I also, based on my own, like I said, my own Gen Z, that that giving back, right? And that supporting and that community and that, you know, that world sort of thing. My son spends all of his allowance on Patreon on other people, other artists, other writers, other, you know, um, YouTubers or influencers. He spends like a lot of his money doing those sort of things because they are causes that are really important to him. And I think that's really uh, interesting to, for me to see um, that. And I'm always like, really? You want to give all your money away to some guy that's <laughs> writing a book? And he's like, yeah, you know. Um, so I, I just love that. There's so many things there um, beyond just like the normal always on access technology. You know, sometimes I think people think it's just, oh, they just have more technology or they're too, super tech savvy. But it's it's way deeper than that, right? There's a social consciousness, I think, that comes along with Gen Z. And then also just, just this whole idea that I can be connected globally to anyone at this point. And so it's not where I only have to look within my own community or my own neighborhood. I actually can be connected to anyone. So kids that are playing video yes. games online are playing against students or young people, adults that are yeah. all over the world. And so it's that kind of global aspect that's just very much part of their daily lives and their lives are not sheltered into their communities any longer. And I think that offers some real possibilities, yeah. especially for districts that are not that diverse. They still can connect students with um, others from the target language culture using technology. Absolutely. And so the whole idea of having these mystery Skype kind of things yeah. and uh, what people were doing during COVID, I think is really critical because students get, oh, this is worth knowing because mm -hmm. I can do this because of it. So Absolutely. I realize this is helping me communicate with others in some way. And I also think I'm um, touching on that, that like you said, it's connections through the the technology and it doesn't have to be face-to-face. -face. They're not as hung up at all on relationships being face-to-face. -face. They still like it. They still have that very social aspect to them, maybe more so than ever. Um, but in some ways, you know, those devices, you know, we think like, well, they're not, at least when I was younger, you know, 
virtual friends, gaming friends weren't like real friends. Like they were not like you were kind of looked at like, oh, you're somebody sitting in your basement playing video games, you know, with like not real people. Right. Right. That's not at all how they see. It is very much that connection, which, again, I find very interesting, you know, um, how that just they've got a bigger worldview, I think, even though. They're getting it from a device, you know, typically in their hand, you know, so. And I, and I think that, you know, during COVID, when we went to virtual and blended learning, where teachers were pressed to have to use a lot of these techn- technology tools, that now coming back into the classroom, many teachers are reporting that they're going to continue doing some of those things mm-hmm. because they realized how engaging it was to their learners. And so during the during COVID, it was a survival skill of trying to keep things going, but realizing that there were some activity types in particular that used technology mm-hmm. that students were much more engaged in than they would have been in the classroom. And so they want to hold on to those even coming back to the face-to-face classroom. Yeah. And like we're talking about, like tapping into those things. We're not creating these. We're tapping into their already, you know, tendencies to be thinking global, be connected, gaming and game, you know, that being gamers. And it's not. And again, my, my son will always school me that gamers just isn't about playing a game. It's a mindset. It's a, a way of experimenting. It's a way of, you know, experiential, you know, wandering around and figuring things out. Um, you know, he hates getting a formula in math and he loves just getting something and figuring things out, you know, that they're, they're just, it's, it is, it's so interesting. So how can we tap into that, right. Of, of that need or that desire, um, that they like to do. Exactly. What are, yeah. What are some other characteristics that, that you've seen or that you've, um, read about experienced? And I, I think one is that students are always asking themselves, when they're learning anything, not just languages, how does this connect with me? Yes. So I think making those connections, and I still believe that there are some tried and true strategies from years ago, such as KWL. Mm -hmm. So KWL, what do I know already about this topic? What do I want to know? And then at the end, what did I learn? Are we asking students, you know, our theme is going to be how does how do the foods we eat define who we are? So that's mm-hmm. my essential questions. What do you want to learn about? Yeah. And so to really ask them what sub themes might they be interested in? And so they're saying, well, I'm a vegan, so I want to think about veganism and whether people in other countries practice veganism and how they view that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about hunger. I want to talk about food waste. I want to, and these are not things that you have to spend a whole week on. The idea is I'm pulling these ideas in so that students see that I'm capturing these sub themes kind of that are of great interest to them. And so I think it's really important that we're asking students these kinds of questions, because if I'm doing a unit about um, what's school like or whatever my essential question is. It's unlikely students are going to say, I want to know how to say all my school supplies. Right. <laughs> exactly. That, that unit in general tends to be, unless you find something they do care about, like, why do we keep even doing this over and over again? We can just talk about classes as we go. We can talk right. about school supplies when we say 
pick up your pencil and, you know, okay. whatever. But yeah, we need to rethink some of these things. Although there are some things I think when we ask that students do want to know, right, um, about different right. schools' like, models. I think, I think kids are curious about, do students take the same courses yes. that I take? So what's it, what's critical there? And, you know, authentic resources kind of is kind of one of my things. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't show a student schedule to students that I've made up on Excel. Mm-hmm. I would find one from an actual school in the act in an actual target line country and have students look at it and know it's not going to have all of your vocabulary words right. on there. And that's what's going to have extra ones. Those, yes, absolutely. Is that they're going to get additional input. They're going to use some of their context clues, skills and things like that to figure it out. And that's interesting. Oh, they have a half a day on Wednesday. I mm-hmm. wish we did. Or they have to take three languages. Yeah. I only have to take one. And those are the things where we start building in the connections and the comparisons. And they're connecting with young people in some way in the in the target culture. And then from there, say, and by the way, I got this schedule from this website for this school in Spain, France, wherever it is. Mm-hmm. If you want to check it out, go to this link tonight and that'll be your homework. Just take a look and see what else you can find out. Like, what do they have for lunch? Do they eat lunch at school? That's what they want to know. They want to know, are kids in other countries as stressed out about school as we are? Yep. Is bullying a problem in schools elsewhere in the world? and not just here in the U.S., those are the topics that are going to rise to the surface. Absolutely. Not, I really want to know how to say backpack. Right. Really or right. Uh, go school supply pencil. shopping. Right? right. Pretty much everybody hates that. And, you right. know, they don't really care how much a pencil costs, you know. Right. So, again, if we have the need to talk about money and shopping, fine, we can easily do that, right? Exactly. In a place where it provides interest for them as well as relevance. So I, I love that. Um, what else? Anything, uh, any other characteristics? Yeah. So I um, recently came across a, um, it's a practitioner brief from Cal, which is the Center for Applied Linguistics in Washington. And they put out a brief recently that had to do with NACESFL. So that's mm-hmm. the National Council of State Supervisors of Foreign Language. They're meeting last November. So that group, along with NADSFL, the National Association of District Supervisors of Foreign Language, both have their annual meetings during the ACTFL convention or right before the ACTFL convention. And last November, because it was virtual, they invited a panel of students from all over the country to zoom in and they asked them questions as high school students about languages, what matters to them, things like that. And so some of the things they talked about, for example, in this brief, and I highly recommend it, it's called Student Voices. It's great. It's so enlightening. (laughs) Student Voices, High Schoolers Insights into World Language Learning by Tom Welsh and um, I'm going to say it wrong, Nancy Rhodes, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, the some of the things that they talk about that hinder their language learning. So these are Gen Z talking about what keeps me from learning languages. And so one of the things they mention is discrete grammar tasks mm. and what feels like constant correction. They actually inhibit our pro- progress. 
So why am I being asked to fill in lots of blanks with grammar if it's not really getting anywhere? Like, what does that have to do with communicating? And then the other is constantly correcting me. So thinking about the fact that we're actually shutting down learners by doing overcorrection. And then the other piece is that if we really look deeply into the necessitable actful can-do statements, novices are going to make several errors. They're going to be only understood by a sympathetic native speaker, Mm -hmm. right? And so they're supposed to be making mistakes. And And that doesn't mean we're supposed to be correcting them. That means they're supposed to make them and that that's okay, right? That we have to correct them. Normalize that making mistakes is part of language learning. The other um, thing they talked about in terms of what hinders their language learning, they talked about that many traditional classroom practices are unmotivating. And students often cited arbitrarily assigned vocabulary Mm -hmm. as having little practical use for them beyond practice and memorization. So there's that whole recall as an obsolete skill there. Mm -hmm. Now, what they said was not all negative. Mm-hmm. Right. They talked about, yeah, they talked about the types of activities they would recommend teachers continue to do or start doing if they're not already doing. So connect with the world through video pals and e-pals. They want to connect with real people who speak the language and use what they've learned to communicate in a real world setting. Um, It makes me think about the Happy World Foundation, which, you know, was started by one of our colleagues from Dallas, um, Akesh Patel. And um, he connects people with target language um, speakers from other countries. And it's free. It's all done kind of um, as a service to to, um, educators. They suggest virtual tours. They suggest weekly conversations with native speakers, like a mystery Skype that I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. They want to have real life scenarios. Now let's talk about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I feel like in our, um, in our uh, profession, we have overdone the real life scenario of imagine you're an exchange student and you're writing a letter to your family. Or imagine you're receiving an exchange student and they, um, you're letting them know, uh, you know, what things are like in your, in your house. Right. So the idea is that not all students are going to do that. And that is not real for all students. Mm -hmm. So for us to think about what would a student really do with the language that they've learned in a real world setting. Mm-hmm. So I think when we're putting things together, like speaking tasks, like performance assessments, like IPAs, we want to think about what a student really do this. Right. So Not the we, 1% of privileged students that may travel to a foreign company, you know, country or, you know, somewhere yeah. else and experience us. Yeah. Not to mention they would never write a letter like right. ever. <laughs> and they probably, if we're talking about Gen Z, they wouldn't even write an email. Correct. They think emails are way too know, slow. Yeah. So. As well. <laughs> um, and so that whole idea about thinking about, well, what would a student actually do? And um, out there in the world of, I think, language arts or social studies, I found this cool acronym and it's called SCRAP. 
Oh, so it's awesome. not a beautiful word. <laughs> I wish it said something more fun, but um, it's all about um, what's the situation, what's the challenge, what role am I playing, who's the audience, and what product am I creating? I and love so I'm that. encouraging people that when you're putting things together, like a performance task or, or anything where you're trying to make it as real world as possible, what's the situation? What situations would students really be in, in the real world? So helping out a neighbor, uh, volunteering somewhere and interacting with someone who speaks the target language. Those are all plausible. Mm-hmm. Now, no matter how hard we try, it's still in a classroom. So right. it's not completely real world. Right. But when we connect students, you know, we have students walking around pretending they're waiters all the time right. and they're not old enough to work. And so it's those We're doing a fashion show. Exactly. I, was, I mean, I did a fashion show, but I'm like, how many of these students are ever going to be models in a fashion yeah. show? Like, but will and they so, go school shopping with their exactly. friends and ask what they should, you know, like or dislike? Right. Exactly. And so really trying to think about what would a student really do? So in the real world, what types of actions would they take? So they would apply for something. They would mm-hmm. help someone else. They would um, volunteer somewhere. They would like, what actions would a student actually do? So for example, during COVID, many young people were going grocery shopping for their neighbors who couldn't leave their homes. So that's a great scenario to yeah. then say, what if that neighbor spoke the target language you've learned? How are you going to find out for them what's on their grocery list and what exactly they want you to buy for them? And so it's those kind of things that I think are really important for us to brainstorm. And in fact, on my website, if you go to the page called Designing Performance Assessments, I have a whole grid I've created of possible um, situations, uh, challenges, roles, audiences, and and products. And basically it's like a menu where you can choose something out of the first column oh, and choose wonderful. something that matches in the second. And so really thinking about what would the students really do? Um, that acronym might remind you of a differentiated and strategy called RAF. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah. Exactly. But this is better. I love the challenge is, part of this. Which is a writing assignment, yeah. you know, role, audience, format, topic. Yes. What I love about RAF assignments is they kind of go in a row where you, okay, here are the aspects for this possible product. Here's the aspect. And then typically on the bottom row, I would leave the row blank. And so that's like, do you want to propose a possible scenario? So when we're developing these scenarios, are we also asking students to tell us what would be a plausible thing they might do with the language using this um, theme that mm-hmm. we've been talking about? And so again, I think that's really critical because the students get that you are actually listening to them and you're trying to connect them in some way with the content to communication. Absolutely. I love that. And I think we'd be surprised at the creative things they would come up with that we're never going to come up with if we don't ask, right? And so really finding out and asking. um, And and on a practical note, who wants to grade 150 of the same thing, right? So I love that idea of having the format, the you know, this common structures, vocabulary, because it doesn't matter what the context is. It can be personalized. That's, that's the beauty of proficiency-based instruction and what we do, in my opinion. So, 
And I really just want us to think hard about these things where, and I've probably been guilty about this in the past, having kids walk around, ask each other, what color is your shirt? Like that, when you reflect (laughs) on it, is a ridiculous question. Yes. First of all, I can see what color your shirt is and you know what color your shirt is. And so that is in no way real world. Right. So they know it. How did you decide what you were going to wear today? Oh, I felt like wearing blue because blue is my favorite. That's a whole nother thing. That is something people would actually say to their friends. And so to really get do that litmus test, you know, and say say to myself, is this something a kid would really do? Or is this a silly exercise? I'm having them go through that has real, no real communicative purpose. Right. And they do know, like I I was saying, like my son, I think I've said it before, but it annoyed him to no end that he had to learn words like tablecloth and fork, even fork, because he's like, if I don't have one, I can just point to the person next to me who does have one, or I can make a motion. He's like, this makes no sense to me. You know, meanwhile, if I can't, if I don't know what any of the food is, or if I'm allergic to something, and I don't know how to say allergic, you know, that's like important. And it would bug him to no end, like having to do what he perceived as literally having no relevance to him or really honestly to teenagers in general. Again, most teenagers are never going to ask for a tablecloth. They're never going to need that word, you know? So let's like, we can let it go, right? Let's just agree that we could let it go. But words like vegetarian or omnivore, or, you know, some of these other words that very much could apply to our students' lives. We, we don't even we don't even give them those options or those choices. And so one of the things I've seen in some curricula is there's priority vocabulary for a theme. So those are the vocabulary words that are kind of the focus, the essential vocabulary, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And there's a second section called student generated vocabulary. So they're generating the things they want to talk about as well. So for example, in that first unit, we typically do in level one about who am I? Um, And we give them tall, smart, Mm -hmm. short, all that funny, interesting. What else do you want to say about yourself and others? And so allow them to generate that additional vocabulary, student generated vocabulary, whatever calling it, enrichment vocabulary, Mm -hmm. extended vocabulary, whatever you want to call it. But the idea is, again, it gets personalized because they want to talk about certain things and not just the 10 words that I'm teaching them. And so making sure that we're asking those questions like, okay, here's the essential vocabulary. What else do you want to talk about when we talk about family, when we talk about, you know, whatever the theme is? Yeah. And and understanding that they may learn five of the essential from your list and five from their personalized list. And they are meeting the can-do statements. They are meeting the learning objectives. They are answering the essential question. They don't need to know every word because really they don't right they're not going they're only going to i think it was john damato and he says this a lot you know i only know the words i choose to know you know and and i think you know that is so important that if it's important to them they will internalize it they will understand it they will learn it they will acquire it if it's not they're they're it's just their brain they're just going to let it go they're that the brain is going to say this is not useful to me and it's going to shed that anyway so don't waste a lot of time 
trying to cram things that are not relevant in their head when they have plenty that they want to talk about, right? And so we just have to tap into that, I think. And I think that's critical. Um, I think about, you know, what I've helped people see when we're coming back to school this this year and people are worried about the things students didn't get mm-hmm. during the last school year. And my whole thing is about, please remember that content just gives the context for communication. Thank you. I think you should repeat that for those in the back, right? (laughs) Content just provides the context for communication. So whether you learned environment words, whether you learned family words, whether you learned food words, whatever it was, the vocabulary and structures you've acquired through that, they're just helping you become more and more proficient because you're going to try to use the newer words you've learned at a more deep and complex level, right? So to move along the proficiency continuum. And I help people see that, you know, if I look at the Necessful Actful Can Do statements, nowhere in there does it say knows their colors. Right. (laughs) Or knows their adverbs of frequency. That's nowhere in there. It's how well they communicate with what they know. And so this whole thing about, well, they never learned the blank unit. Right. You need to let that go. Yes. Because that just, you're now giving them a new context to practice communicating and having those quality interactions, using that content to become more and more proficient. Right. And so I think we need to let some of that go that a lot of folks started out the school. You're saying, well, I have to just review all of last year before I um, start the next year and instead think about. But this new information I'm giving them is just going to give them the context to continue to move along the proficiency continuum. Yeah. And when I talked with Greta, we talked um, in the, I think, I don't know if these are going to go in order. So it might be previewing what we talked about or referring back, but we talked about, it was about gradual release responsibility, but a lot of what we talked about was transfer. And again, you're transferring these language functions from one context to another, right? As they, students are getting more and more, you know, things to be able to communicate about. Um, But I love that, like they have some stuff, use what they have, connect it to the new content, whatever that might be. And that's how they build that communication, right? And I think, Leslie, you and I are giving teachers out there the permission, right, to to let go of that oh, need please. to re, you know, redo, rehash, reteach, relearn all of the past stuff. And it's not because we're giving anybody a break. It's because it just isn't, it doesn't matter, right? We can move forward on the communicative goals, adapt where needed, you know, and just keep, keep giving them the the context in order uh, to be able to communicate. And um, I'm not going to remember the exact quote, but there was a great article in the Washington Post about learning loss. And it says, you know, this is not learning. This is not a loss of learning at all. This is about not covering information in a previously imagined trajectory. Yes. I love that. that. Someone made up Mm-hmm. The curriculum. My curriculum looks different from your curriculum. Your, yeah. Nobody says level two curriculum has to look a certain way. That's just what we made up. Yeah. And so that's what we were imagining they were going to accomplish. It's not about whether they didn't become more proficient, whether they didn't learn how to communicate better. 
And I think that's an important thing to grab a hold of. I've been asking people to do something called embrace the spiral. Oh, yes. I love that. That whole concept of that I can literally take all of my level two themes and pair them with the level one themes and crosswalk them over and say, okay, so if I want to reinforce some of the things from the previous curricula, I can pull that in when I'm talking about this. And it's so easy because we need to teach students that language isn't spoken in buckets, but it all intertwines. And so we always can spiral numbers back in, colors back in, family Mm -hmm. back in, food back in. It's so easy. And it also helps students see the connections Instead of feeling like they have to repeat. I mean, again, how demotivating for students. I know we're kind of getting off track maybe, but how demotivating for students to walk in and and then for your teacher to say, well, we're going to look at all of this stuff from last year. We're going to read, you know, redo this because you didn't learn it or, you know, you haven't mastered it. You haven't acquired it or whatever. Yeah, that's not motivating at all. And so you know, getting, again, getting, let's get over that. Let's not mention the word learning loss. There's no such thing. They are where they are. We're going to keep moving. And that's the other thing. Proficiency is a beautiful thing. I mean, because it, it, you can't make them be where they're not. You can't make them skip two levels. It's not going to happen. You can't cram and push them farther. They are where they are. We take where they are. We have to know where they are, you know, assess where they are. We move them forward. And like you said, keep bringing in the things that are important. And I think kind of letting go of some of the things that maybe don't have real world application. Like let's let go of the backpack and school supplies maybe to dig deeper and let them be able to communicate deeper and, you know, advance their proficiency because that's what's really going to get them where we want them to be. And what I've done is I've, I've asked level one teachers to challenge themselves to make their curriculum more relevant. Because typically in level one, it's very um, simple, you know, a lot of initial, you know, numbers, colors, weather, all these kinds of things. But again, I'm 13, I'm 16, (laughs) you're teaching me like I'm two. And so how could we add relevance to those Themes. And so even though the themes are quite simple and we've, um, you know, considered the fact that students are novices when they're um, doing these themes, how can I still add in relevant um, sub themes? Mm-hmm. So I've, I have one teacher in particular that I still am very much in touch with from my district. And I challenged her to do that with her um, curriculum and some of the things she came up with were just amazing. So for example, in that first unit on personal descriptions, she also did a whole piece on identity and uniqueness. So it's not just I'm tall, I have brown hair, Mm -hmm. or I'm funny, I'm smart, but how am I different? and, And how is that uniqueness something we should celebrate? And so even these novices were able to talk about their identities and um, their uniqueness, their unique strengths, their unique talents. And then they made posters about it's cool to be unique. Mm -hmm. I'm different. And that's a good thing. And we're all different and really touched more of that kind of social justice, Mm -hmm. identity, diversity, which usually if I said, oh, we're going to try to do social justice in level one, people would go, oh, unit one of level one, right? Like right away, we're doing it like 
right away. And, and exactly. people would say, well, we can't do that, right? And yeah. uh, during her family unit, which again, would have been very simple, you know, learning I have and, uh-huh. and then the names of the family members, she added in information about adoption because several students were adopted in one of her classes and they wanted to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And so again, that's a sensitive topic, but as long as that's, you know, comfortable for the students, some students wanted to talk about the idea that there's multi-generational homes and that grandparents live with their sons or daughters, you know, and their children. And that whole idea of taking care of the elderly, those are more advanced topics, but are much more of interest to students than to just say, mother, father, sister, brother. And so even at that level, we can show them infographics, we can show them really simple things, but bring in some of these other ideas, give them some of the um, expressions, some of the sentence frames they might need to talk about these things, but it will add that interest and relevance level for them instead of feel like feeling like everything I'm learning is so elementary to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and brain research does show that they need to be interested in order to process and make meaning of things. And I agree. There's so many possibilities out there. I know I, I was, I'm here in Florida. So when I moved from Minnesota to Florida, we, um, the first time I asked students, how many people are in your family? Now, my students were made up of Hispanic families, you know, uh, you know, original Floridian family, just all types of families. And it was always so much, it was such a fun conversation because, you know, some hands would go up, like mine would go up and I'd say four. That was an easy question. Like, okay, let's move on. And meanwhile, I've got my Hispanic kids counting on two hands and saying, wait, wait, I'm not done yet. Wait a minute. You know, like what it, what does it mean to be family? Who is part of your family? There's so many missed opportunities, right? When we don't, try and dig for these kind of deep connections. Um, I I agree with you 100%. And students are going to say, I want to know how to say half brother. Yeah. I want to know how to say stepmom. I want to know because that's part of my reality. Yep, absolutely. Instead of saying, well, no, just learn these words. Right, you'll learn those in level two. (laughs) Just just follow your mom. And that's so crazy when you think about it. Um, Right? Oh my gosh. The other thing that relevance makes me think about for our Generation Z learners and making it real is when we talk about grammar and context. Yes. And I know grammar and context is one of the spooky core practices because many of us don't want to think about that. Um, And I love grammar. I took Latin in college and I loved how it was so formulaic and all that. And that's why we became language teachers. Many of us are grammar nerds. (laughs) We're self-professed grammar nerds. But the reality is, is that if I have a worksheet where I'm filling in verbs, there is no context. And so why am I doing this? And, you know, there's a cool meme that says that was an awesome worksheet, said no student ever. Right. Because those are not going to be something that students care about. Yeah. And so thinking about ways that we can talk about grammar, but still make it real. And so one example is through social media. So I can go on to Twitter 
And I can put in más que, which means more than in Spanish. And I'm going to have a whole bunch of comparatives pop up that real people tweeted. Now, will all the ones that pop up be appropriate? <laughs> no. no. Make sure you but read those carefully. <laughs> cut and paste those. Yeah. Students are now interacting with the grammar that real people put out in the universe. It is not what I call a sentence about some random guy named Juan, right? And so the idea is that there's realness to this. Oh, real people are saying these things that you've been teaching us, right? Yes. Like, mm -hmm. I want to show you that real people do this. And students can still do the analysis of the grammar and circle, like, why does that end in an AS? Because, mm -hmm. you know, we can mark it up and all that. But the whole idea is beginning from the point of real. So if this is something that really was put out on online, that it has that already amps up the engagement level for students because they approach it in such a different way than if um, it was a sheet with just a bunch of sentences on it. Yeah. And you're using a mode of a platform, I guess is a better word for it, that they use. Right. So, oh, yeah. I mean, again, find a little video clip on YouTube because they're on YouTube, find an influencer that said, you know, what they did last exactly. week or something. And exactly. so I think, I think what we're getting at too, is that those authentic resources can be both motivational, meaningful, and reflect things that the students use, platforms oh, yeah. that they use, technology that they use. Um, and it, it can just tick so many of those boxes. Plus it's brain friendly and, you know, language acquisition important, you right. know, so there's some input, you know, there's so many things that it does. So I love that. So social and, media and, is a good one. Oh yeah. And just the idea that um, even novices, so I've put into Twitter and Instagram, um, my breakfast, mm -hmm. and so people are posting a picture of their breakfast and then listing what they ate. A novice can read that yes, and use the picture to help them. And so again, realizing this is not just for intermediate learners, novices can interact with them as well. And then some of them are just fun. Like for example, yes. into Twitter and Instagram, I put, when I was a child, I thought that, and really cool things come up. I thought the people in the TV could see me. <laughs> I thought crazy. there were really monsters under my bed. I thought the moon followed me. Yeah. And, and these are some things kids themselves probably thought when yeah. they were little. Yes, it's going to have imperfect tense in it, which again, we can dig into as a grammar concept, but it also has this layer of, oh, that's funny. I thought that too. I thought there were monsters under my bed. I thought that, you know, and so these kinds of things, again, kind of connect students with the humanity of others which I also think is a critical thing. That whole idea about empathy and global competence, mm -hmm. I think is an important thread for us to think about as well. Like other people are dealing with the same challenges that we're dealing with. Students in other countries right now are having to go to school with masks on mm -hmm. just like we are. And so really helping um, students have that empathy, global understanding that it's not just about us as in U.S., Absolutely. So what other, uh, what are some of your other favorite 
authentic resource go-tos, right? Like social media, like you said, I think, especially Instagram, because one of the things I saw in one of your infographics on your website about Gen Z that I thought was so interesting is how visual they are and how that is such a big part of, you know, responding in, I don't know if you say GIFs or GIFs, but, you know, memes and just even, you know, one of the things said something about, 60% has had an entire conversation only using emojis, right? So they're very, very visual. And so I think, you know, again, like Instagram in particular, because it is such a story, a picture. And then there's just the, even just the hashtags in the target language are great comprehensible input, right? For that novice sort of learner. So what are some other go-to things? I know your Pinterest page is like all over, but yeah. What else? So, um, Let's continue along the line of the grammar and context. So one mm-hmm. of the things I've done, if you go to my website on the grammar and context page, I've also created meme collages. Yes. Awesome. So these are, um, let's say, five or six memes on the same page. Now, I do have to give the warning that not all memes, we can't prove they're all authentic because anyone can put language on a, sure. on a picture. But what we know is they're highly engaging to our Gen Z learners. Mm-hmm. Um, and so- Put a bunch of them on a collage together, and then they all are demonstrating one the same grammar point. And again, so much more interesting for students to do the pace model mm-hmm. or some other kind of discovery model to figure out how the grammar works instead of me having to tell them or drill them on a verb chart and things like that. And so really thinking about because memes are funny and they're you know, they usually have animals in them and things like that. Just the level of engagement is amped up because of that. Um, I'm a huge believer in using infographics just because they are so friendly to novices. They're highly visual. They tend to, for non-logographic languages, tend to have lots of cognates in them um, and just have numbers or graphs or maps or something that will help the learner understand what's happening there. They don't need to know every single word. Yeah. Um, and they don't need to see the entire infographic as well. Like, I think that's the other thing. Teachers will just look at something and go, oh, that would be great, but that's way too much input. We'll just take one of the boxes, exactly. <laughs> take a, a quarter of it. It's still exactly. authentic. It's a smaller slice. Yeah. But again, you know, scaffolding that for the learner that you have in front of you, Right. And, and I think it's critical that we're teaching students how to approach text. So we're not just saying, oh, this looks pretty good. Here, try this. Right. But instead, I've modeled this. We've done it together. Yeah. We've practiced things like context clues and word families and things like that so that we're building their confidence about interacting with text. And of course, I'm choosing text that has something that has to do with what they've been learning. So everything on it should not be um, new to them. But again, understanding that I'm going to ground myself in the Necessful Actful Can-Do statements for the interpretive mode. Mm -hmm. I should know what it is a student at this level can do with text. So I think a lot of times we're guilty of asking them to do something that's well above what they can do right now. So what can they actually do with it? And then how do we model that, give them lots of examples so their confidence gets built up, built up, built up so that when I hand them something, 
they're like, oh, this is like what we did before. I know how to do this. You know, and one of the things we did in my district is we had just like a generic organizer we used with all infographics. And it just had a T-chart at the top. So it'd be healthy, not healthy. Or if it was about bullying, if you're the victim, if you're a witness Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, just try to boil it down to two things. And obviously that was flexible. Mm -hmm. And then the next section asked for three new words I'm going to add to my personal dictionary. So that shows the intent that you're going to learn new things by doing this. This is not just something that's going to review your exact vocabulary list. There's going to be new things in there. So if it's about fruits and vegetables and I never taught you the word eggplant, you now know eggplant. Right. Because in in the real world, guess what? Nobody has your exact menu that you did in your classroom, right? Nobody has your exact, you know, whatever it is that you studied. So those are very important that, you know, that that skill um, that they need to be able to. Those vocabulary words that I'm adding to these lists of what I'm adding to my personal dictionary, the intent is I want to see those show up later because there's Mm -hmm. a reason why you highlighted them. You highlighted them because that was of interest to you. I love that. And mm-hmm. we never learned how to say that. I want to know that word. Mm-hmm. And and so making sure you, you grab words and tell them you're going to learn new words. And then finally, here's what I think this was about. So a summary at the bottom. And it can be very simple at the novice level. And then obviously more complex as you go up the proficiency levels. But the idea is that I think this was generally teaching people how to separate their recycling, right? And so that that's what you got from it. And so again, I think it's really important that we teach students how to approach text, not to be afraid of it, to use skills that we've practiced for trying to figure out what text is trying to tell me. And I know that the advanced placement teachers will really appreciate us doing this yes. from level one on. Because we don't want the first time students are looking at text to be at the AP level, but we want them to be thinking about it all along and saying, oh, this is something that um, I've done before, right? And so working my way up to things like articles and, Mm -hmm. you know, heavier text, slowly working my way up. The other thing is reminding people that authentic text is also anything you can view, That includes a picture. That includes a piece of fine art. It doesn't have to have words on it. And for those of you who have friends, uh, colleagues that are teachers of social studies, for example, they often use photographs to talk about different times and events in history. And so we can look at a piece of art, a picture, and also communicate using it. And so making sure we don't get too bogged down with there have to be lots of words involved, because that's not really, you know, when uh, the world readiness standards were revised, the the, um, definition of text that we have was aligned with how language arts defines text now, right? So it's anything you can listen to, view, or read. And so again, that includes, again, exactly anything you can view, including a picture. Well, and then even, um, again, another statistic, 90% of Gen Zers go to YouTube every day. You know, I mean, I think I saw, I'm like, they, I know my son doesn't Google. He never Googles anything. He, He goes straight to YouTube to find whatever it is he's looking for. And that is where he, he gets, and then he goes down a rabbit hole and, and finds other things about that topic. Um, then he'll, you know, through 
good teachers and strategies. He's learned how to validate whether what he saw was, a, you know, a, a you know, a prior, a credible source. But that's where he starts, right? Yeah. So again, that visual component, being where they're at, being engaging, um, that sort of thing to keep in in mind all of those um, those things. So one other um, thing we want to think about with our Gen Z learners is the whole idea of learner voice and choice. Yeah. And so they want to have control over their learning in some way. And so offering choices is a really important aspect to that. And I always tell people to think about when you walk down the cereal aisle in the grocery store, it's a full aisle, both sides filled with cereal. But everything in that aisle is oats, wheat, bran, rice, right? But it's every shape, every flavor, every color, right? Every different kind of packaging because choice is a norm in our culture. So I don't go to McDonald's and just have one hamburger choice. There are multiple hamburger choices. And so when are we giving students choices? So an example would be like the raft assignment we talked Mm -hmm. about earlier, where you get to choose what product you're going to create for me, because they're all aligned to the same learning targets, but everyone doesn't have to write a friendly letter. Right. (laughs) You can write different things, create different products to demonstrate that they know how to use the content and structures that we've learned during this unit. And so really making sure that we offer these choices, choices for homework assignments, choices for projects, choice. I mean, just thinking about choice all the time because students have a higher probability of wanting to do something if they got to pick which one best works with their style. Mm -hmm. So if one of the choices is um, you can create a song. Well, if I'm musical, I'm going to veer towards that. Whereas if I'm artistic, I'm going to go towards the one that says, draw this, right? Or if I love making videos. And so again, allowing students to tap into their strengths and their interests to also meet the learning targets and show you what they've learned. And I think it's more than just allowing them. It's their, ex- they have the expectation that they should be doing this. I like, I, again, my own Gen Z, he doesn't understand why. I mean, it's probably, probably because I'm a teacher too, but he doesn't understand like, why do I have to do this exactly? This prescription, why can't I do this, this or this instead? And so there's been times where, you know, his teacher, for whatever reason, wanted him to do one thing. And he said, can I do a video? Can I do a, can I narrate a Minecraft world? Can I, you know, do a, a variation of it? Um, most of the time, you know, he, he has, but he kind of just expects that he should have choice and that, uh, that, that um, wanting to create, I think is so much a part of Gen Z, like they expect to be able to create and put things together in their own unique way. I think because, you know, everything's out there. Otherwise, if you can Google everything and it's just factual and I can Google this project and 149 other kids are doing it, you know, that doesn't, it's not meaningful. Right. And so I, I find it fascinating that like he does have that expectation that he has that choice. Um, It's a little um, disconcerting at times. And he's had to, you know, adjust for a few teachers that said, no, I want you to do it this way. Uh, His first question is why, (laughs) you know, and he's one of those, the ones that the teachers love or, and 
and hate at the same time. But again, if the teacher can't answer the question, why this particular one, only one way <laughs> does it need to be done? You know, we should kind of think about that a little bit, I guess. And, and for me, if we're really having students own the learning targets, mm-hmm. I can do this, I can do that. So I should be able to come to you and say, what if I did this and I'm still showing you mm-hmm. that I can do this, this, and this? Yeah. Like, what if it's just a different way to show you? And uh, often teachers will say to me, oh, I don't want to give choices because then I have to have different rubrics and all this. And I'm like, why? If your right. targets are the same, right. they're just reaching the target in different ways. They're just demonstrating it through a different product that possibly they're going to put more effort into because it's something that interests them, the the modality of it, mm-hmm. right? The, the way they're doing it. And so I think that for us to let go of some of that and understand that this is all about here are the can do's you're trying to reach. Here is the proficiency target. If you can show me a different way, because I am a human, I can't think of every possible way you could show me this. And so I'm always open again on any choice board I created, the center board, the center block always said your choice. And that was all about you tell me something that you'd like to do to show me these same targets. So again, allowing them to have that voice. I think the other thing we don't do enough of is to ask students what's working for them. And so I'm not talking about a survey saying, what do you like about school, right? What do you like about my class? Because I taught 21 of my 27 years in middle school. And I can guarantee you my middle school t- students would have said, I don't like anything. Any of it, right? Um, <laughs> but of it's working. Dead, Right. Which of the test types that we've been doing help you learn the best? Which of these tasks help you communicate better? And so really focusing them in on the goal, which is Mm -hmm. learn better, acquire language, communicate with it and have them say, you know, when we do that one thing, it really doesn't help me at all. Um, But when you let me work with a partner, I love that because we get to play off each other and get ideas for each other. So making sure we're asking those questions so that we're not just imagining in our minds that, well, I think this is the most amazing lesson I've ever done. And the kids are like, what is this? Right. Right. So making sure that we are um, paying attention to the students telling us, I like it when you let us do this. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's not that everything we're going to do is going to be catered to that survey information because some things we know we have to be the parent sometimes and right. say, okay, but you also need this. Right. But I think it's also important that when students give us feedback, we let them know that we act upon acted upon it. So we say, you said you wanted more of this, so I made sure I incorporated this into this week. Then the students are like, wow, she actually mm-hmm. read what we said, right? And so then that makes them want to give you more feedback because they they believe that you are listening to them. And, and so it's again, building relationships. It's be- building a better curriculum, a better lesson, better you know strategies, yeah. meeting their needs. But it's also building a relationship that you have some capital then as well so that when you do have to like you said, play the parent, right? They kind of trust that, okay, well, she's not going to go into this mode and and just stay there, right? We're going to come back. I can trust that person. I can trust that teacher that she's going to bring in some more engaging things that we've asked for or whatever. And and I recommend to teachers that we say things to students out loud, like, 
based on your exit tickets yesterday, I noticed you needed some more of this. So I incorporated this task into today's lesson. It's like, oh, she actually customizes Mm -hmm. this in some way. Because when I was a student, I thought someone just told teachers what to say. I had no idea. I thought they were reading from a book. So I didn't know that they were customizing it or responding to data in any way. And so I think we need to be transparent about that with students that, hey, I noticed that this is something we need a little more practice on. So I designed a pair activity today where we're going to get some more practice. And the students are like, wow, like you actually paid attention, right? And so I I think those kind of things matter that we're transparent. And I love what you said about the trust that I trust that whatever my teacher is giving me to do is what I need right now, because that's what she's told me she does. And so I think that's really critical. It's not just uh, because this is another activity to fill up the time, right. but I know this is what you need right now based on your previous performances and products. Right. And I think, you know, we don't give uh, students, learners enough credit either. I mean, I think they know they might ask for a diet of candy and sugar, but they know in the end that sometimes you have to have some vegetables, right? right. And right. so, you know, having that balance of, the, you know, I mean, it's a an analogy, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I think see, that yeah. us in the classroom, you know, no, we can't play X, Y, or Z, the newest game every day for 45 minutes. We all know that, but we can you know, because you are gamers and you love that and that competition and that cooperative gaming, you know, we can do that at, you know, because that does help you, you've asked for it, et cetera, you know, but again, we've got some vegetables sprinkled in that we're going to put cheese on and make it as good as we can, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. That's what grammar and context is, right? (laughs) I think it's a little better than that, but... So one of the other things I wanted to talk about is games. Mm -hmm. And because this is, of course very popular. We were playing lots of games with students during COVID yeah. to keep them engaged and things like that. And so again, how are we making games real? So one of the things I've noticed is, you know, and I used to observe and evaluate teachers in my district. Um, I would watch kids play games and the teacher would have a game board that she made up that was so cool looking and they moved their little, um, their markers around And I'm listening to kids grunt out individual words to each other. Mm -hmm. So they're going boom, boom, boom. Oh, pineapple. Mm -hmm. So they roll a die. Banana. And I'm like, who plays a game like that? Right. Right? They don't play games like that. Right. (laughs) So first of all, am I giving them a little list of expressions for the table that real people say when they play games? Whose turn is it? Is it my turn? Yay, I got a six. You cheat. I right? was going to say, when I played a game, that was their favorite word to to learn. Yep. Cheater and liar, right? Yep. <laughs> or I don't believe you or, you know. So exactly. in the real world, when people play games, they actually talk to each other while they play the game. And so am I making sure that I add that layer in to make it more real instead of it feeling like an exercise, Yeah. right? Instead of making it feel like just something we're doing to practice words again, kind of at that recall level. And so thinking about that all the time, like if I'm having them do this task, what would people really do when they did this? So play cards, play a board game, whatever it is, am I making sure that it feels real? Because then again, they're acquiring 
um, communicative phrases that then they can use for other reasons as well. So it isn't just proving that I remembered what pineapple and banana meant, but instead I turn to my friend and go, pineapple, ooh, I don't like pineapple. Do you like pineapple? Right. And so mm-hmm. get them to chat, you know, allow for that kind of um, interaction to happen because that's what real people do when they play games. And so, yes, games are fun. And also, how do we make them real world communication? For Love that. That's fantastic. Very true. Awesome. What else? Anything else that you're thinking about our Gen Z's, our tasks, our authentic resources? Um, I think for me, it all boils down to students saying to themselves, why do I need this and how do I connect to it? And I think if we anchor ourselves in those two questions, when we start planning any unit and say to myself, why would a student need this? And how does this connect to them in some way? I think that would cause us to think, have a totally different thinking frame than us putting together lessons and thinking about all the tasks we want to do and all that. So always thinking about it from our client, mm-hmm. our customer's yeah. point of view, right? Yeah. Our consumer, where they're saying to themselves, why am why do I have to learn this? And how does this connect to my real life, to the real world? And, you know, kids are seeking two kinds of relevance. They're seeking personal relevance. How is this relevant to my life, to my interests, to my world? And then life re- relevance. How does this relate to life in general? Um, how is this going to help me in my college and career path? How is right? And so them thinking just not on the terms for themselves, but also thinking about how does this connect to real life? How does this connect to my life for the rest of my life? Right. And so I think it's important for us to just keep putting that front and center and not having blinders on where we're like, well, the curriculum says I have to do this right now. So I'm going to just trudge Mm -hmm. on without opening up your peripheral vision and saying, and by the way, what do you all think about that? (laughs) Wait, there's other people in the room to consider here, right? And that's that empowerment. Yeah. Student voice and choice. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a great place to kind of wrap things up. And and I think it is true just to keep that end customer in mind, so to speak, because they they are they're not you can teach and teach and teach and teach all day long and it doesn't matter at all <laughs> if they're not receiving it, right? And there's so many barriers to them receiving things uh, that just both Brain-wise, you know, doing that interest, building those relationships. I was just at a, a meeting for work yesterday, and my supervisor said, "Remember that letter that you evaluated, that you looked at, that we asked for your feedback. We really appreciated it, and we've made some changes based on what you said." And as an adult, I sat up and I'm like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> you know." So it's it's human nature, right? So you know, just making those content connections and it, it builds relationships. It has so many um, important things. And it, and I also want to think, I think we can also touch on really quick that this doesn't mean you have to throw away everything you have, right? 
and and start from scratch and build everything. You know, find those openings where in your what does family look like unit that you can bring in those interests, right? And and really take what you have and you know, make it better. We don't have to scratch everything, especially not now, right? Nobody needs to add. We are not telling you to do that, right, Leslie? We are not telling teachers to do that. When you think about there's so many ways to insert these ideas, like, is this part of a warm up every day where we pull something in that's related to the topic, but more towards what they're interested in? Is this something I set up at the end of the unit where students explore some sub themes in learning stations or something like that? It doesn't have to be reworking everything. But I think always having in the Mm -hmm. back of my mind, like, how is what I'm doing right now relevant to my Gen Z learners, and not just what I want to do right now? And so to make sure I have their voice kind of in my head, Mm -hmm. um, as I'm planning my lessons. Absolutely. Well, thank you. This was a great conversation. I am going to ask you one more question. Sure. I ask everybody. And that is, uh, we had this great topic. We had this great discussion, right, about this very important, interesting topic. If you were going to invite somebody to have coffee with you and sit down and just chat, doesn't have to be world uh, world language related if you don't want it to be, but who would you like to sit down with and what would you like to talk about? Like, what are you interested in learning about or what are you excited about right now? And who would you like to just sit and like dig into it for a while? That is so hard to think of. I think this is going to be kind of an interesting answer. Um, <laughs> I think I would love to talk to a museum curator. Oh, I, oh, tell me more. <laughs> because I want to, I want to hear about ways that they look at art and artifacts for their value, for their historical importance, for their, you know, I have, I have an interest in art. I don't, I'm not artistic, uh-huh. but I love you know, going to art museums and things like that. So I'd love to hear about curation because I think we talk about curation a lot in terms of curating resources and things like that. I think I would just love to spend a day with like the head of the National Art Gallery in Washington. I love it. And pick that person's brain. Oh, I think that's so great. I love this question because I hear the most interesting answers. So I think that's fantastic. I'm going actually soon to DC and I've never been. So I'm going to be there five days and with my mom and my sister. And so we're looking at all of that. I'm very excited. So I'll get to see a lot of artifacts. So anyways, thank you so much, Leslie. This was such a great conversation. I have loved every minute of it. Thank you again for sharing all of your ideas, um, both today and just in general uh, with world language teachers. It's been a pleasure talking with you. My pleasure too. Take care. Thank you for joining us today in the Language Lounge. If you like what you've heard, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. And we'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a review. I'd like to hear what you thought about today's episode. You can reach me on Twitter at at LangLoungePod or send me an email at podcast at wayside publishing.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.